0: And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint
2: Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
0: Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear. you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, June 30th. Some of you may have heard of Skylar Baylor when he was swimming for Harvard. But for those of you not in the know, Skylar made history as the first transgender athlete to compete on a National Collegiate Athletics Association Division I men's team in any
2: sport. I stood alongside all my teammates, none of which who were transgender like me, feeling not beautiful, feeling misshapen, feeling strange, feeling weird, feeling not man enough. But I dove in anyway, and I swam with them anyway.
1: Indeed Skylar was originally recruited to swim for the Harvard women's team, but transitioned even while knowing he was potentially giving up the prospect of being an NCAA champion. At a time when LGBTQ rights are under threat in the United States and around the world, and to mark the end of Pride Month, I'm pleased to share this talk from the Business of Beauty Global Forum. Skylar is a fierce advocate for trans and Asian American inclusion, for radical body acceptance, and for mental health awareness. Here's Skylar Baylor on the BOF podcast.
2: Hi everyone, I'm so honored to be here. I can say this is definitely the first talk I've ever given on beauty, Um, so please bear with me. When I was a kid, and this will probably tell you why this is the first talk I've given on beauty. When I was a kid, I was taught that the beauty industry was evil, and I believed that. My mother is a Korean immigrant. She moved to the United States in the late 1960s. She grew up in predominantly white areas. She was oftentimes the only Asian American kid in her school. She spent her entire childhood being bullied, being told that she didn't belong, being fetishized, even being stalked in states to state. And when I was a kid, I was told frequently that I was beautiful. I was a mixed race baby. My dad is white and my mom is Korean, like I just mentioned, and I was told very frequently that I was beautiful. Like the intro said, I am transgender, so I was assigned female at birth. I was seen to be a girl when I was born. So everybody said, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And my mom, having had her own experience of being fetishized, of being put in this box of womanhood, taught me very young that that compliment wasn't always a compliment. And I remember when I was three years old, it was one of the earliest memories I have She pulled me aside one day, and she said, Skylar, what do you say to people? How do you respond when somebody tells you that you're beautiful? And I said, Mom, I say thank you. She said, no, sternly. She said, you say, and I'm smart, too. And so for my childhood, this is how I responded to people. When they said, you're beautiful, I would tell them I was smart. Probably an annoying child. (laughs) (laughs) But my mom was doing this for a very important reason. She had been bullied, like I said, for most of her childhood. She had not felt that she had belonged. And she tried very hard to fit whatever it was that would make her feel included, which a lot of the time meant bending towards whiteness, bending towards assimilation. And so when she had me, her first child, and what she thought was going to be her daughter, she told me, girls don't have to wear makeup. Girls don't have to be in this specific tiny box of femininity. Girls can wear whatever they want. Girls can be just like boys. Girls can do anything that they want to do. Girls can wear anything that they want to. She knew that the beauty industry and society at large would tell me who I was supposed to be. She knew that there was a strong potential for the world to reduce me down to my image as it does for so many women and especially young girls and she didn't want that to happen. She wanted my experience to be different, and she knew that I had an additional layer being a mixed-race baby. And so for most of my childhood, I was told again that I was beautiful. It was always mixed-race babies are the most beautiful. Mixed-race babies are the sexiest. Remember, I'm a child. Mixed-race babies are the most attractive. I never really knew why that felt off for me as a kid. I didn't understand why I had this big wave of unease that would come over me every time I was told, mixed race babies have the best of both worlds. But as I got older, I learned more about what that meant. And I realized that this best of both worlds was a combination of the exoticization of Asian women, the fetishization of Asian women, combined with an obsession with whiteness. And so I was beautiful, because I had both. I was beautiful because, while I had my Asiatic features, I was also somehow still white enough. I was beautiful because of my proximity to whiteness. In middle school, I shifted a lot of how I presented. I was no longer somebody that looked like a little girl. I had short hair, a boy's haircut that I picked out very intentionally from one of those little barbershop books. It's very beauty, you know? Um, And uh, I I had these really beautiful khaki pants that I wore every single day. I'm totally joking. They were not at all fashionable. They were the kinds that zipped off in the knee, all right? (laughs) Yeah. So I looked, for all intents and purposes, like a lot of the other boys in my school. And I, I loved that. I was gendered consistently as male by a lot of people around me, and I didn't yet have the language to describe why I liked that. I didn't know that I was transgender. I thought, oh, I'm a tomboy, and so I'd religiously say, I'm a tomboy, I'm a tomboy. And for me, that worked for a lot of my childhood. The fetishization dropped off pretty quickly, but it was also rapidly replaced with bullying. I was never girl enough to be considered a real girl. The girls would make fun of my clothing, my hair, the way I acted, the fact that I wanted to play sports with the boys. And the boys wouldn't include me either. I wasn't welcome there because I wasn't a real boy. And this stuck in-betweenness began to wear on me, especially in my experience with bathrooms. I was harassed in every single bathroom I entered. I was thrown out of the bathrooms. My peers and grown women would yell at me in bathrooms to make sure that I knew I didn't belong there because of how I looked. This got exhausting. I was terrified to even use the bathroom. And as I transitioned into high school, I thought to myself... You know, everybody's told me that I'm this beautiful woman, that I'm supposed to be this beautiful woman, and I'm sitting there in my cargo shorts and my oversized T-shirt, my Justin Bieber beautiful haircut. And I was thinking to myself, I, I guess I'm supposed to be this woman. So I tried. I stopped cutting my hair short I grew my hair out long. I wore skinny jeans. I wore all of the clothing that all the other girls wore. Uh, I wore makeup. I wore high heels. I tried so hard to be what society expected of me, what society told me I was a woman. I tried to listen to what the other girls did. I tried to figure out what kind of shampoo they had and what kind of makeup products they put on. I was trying so hard to figure out how to be this woman. And yet, I was miserable. The farther I drifted away from myself, the farther I drifted towards this womanhood that people expected of me, the more miserable I became. And my mental health deteriorated. I began struggling with an eating disorder that almost took my life, and it wasn't until I really slowed down and tried to actually ask myself, who am I, that I was able to recognize that I wasn't actually just a different girl. I wasn't just a tomboy. I wasn't a girl at all. I was a man. I am a man. I am transgender. Years later, I would begin on Harvard men's swim team, the first openly trans athlete to do so in D1 men's sports. And the first day, (laughs) thank you. The first day, I walked onto the deck with a Speedo on. I was terrified. The night before, I spent the whole evening putting the suit back on, taking it back off, putting it back on, taking it back off, trying to gather the courage to appear alongside all my teammates the next day, basically naked in my Speedo. In that moment, I remember thinking to myself that I I didn't feel beautiful. I didn't see something in the mirror that I was excited about. But I showed up the next day anyways, and I stood alongside all my teammates, none of which who were transgender like me, feeling not beautiful, feeling misshapen, feeling strange, feeling weird, feeling not man enough. But I dove in anyway, and I swam with them anyway, and I did so for all four years on Harvard Men's Swimming. What I have found through that experience is that my belonging is actually my belonging. It's about me saying that I belong. Because despite the fact that I didn't feel beautiful, despite the fact that that was confirmed by a lot of the people around me, not only the internet, some of my teammates, but by the world at large that says that trans people don't belong. Not only in sports, but also in healthcare, also in bathrooms, also in schools, also in history. Belonging is not something that's going to be given to me. It's something that I have to find on my own. A couple months before I started at Harvard, I was swiping on Tinder, as one does. Um, And uh, I was with a friend of mine, and I had just changed my profile to M, right, to male. And I was excited about presenting this sort of new part of me to the world. But as I did that, I realized this was the last time that I probably would ever be perceived as a woman. And so with my friend, I decided to give it one last hurrah. So I changed my profile back to an F, (laughs) and I changed all my photos to photos of me, quote, as a woman. And that night, just kept swiping right on everything, okay? We swiped right on every single profile, many that did not deserve that. But anyways, (laughs) we did a lot of swiping right, okay? And uh, within minutes of starting this, there were tens of maybe hundreds of matches, tens of messages, some a little bit more crass than others. But not taking it seriously, me and my friend just laughed as we read these messages. And then I sort of accidentally repeated that experiment years later when I was having my profile back as M And then all my photos look like I do now for the most part. And I did the same thing. And I just wanted to see how many matches I would get if I just swiped right on everything. And I think I got about five. And the juxtaposition I want to share with you is that before I transitioned, when I was perceived as an Asian woman... I was exoticized, I was fetishized, I was sought after. And this corroborated what a lot of data actually shows about beauty and about desirability, which is that Asian women, along with white men, are seen as the most highly desired category. Whereas Asian men, along with black women, are seen as the least desirable. A lot of that is due to the way that white supremacy works, right? And so what I've learned, I've spent 27 years in this body, but I feel like I have been perceived as several lifetimes worth of people. As woman, as man, as gay, as straight, as Asian, as white, as what even are you? But I've learned that the way that I look has a very big impact on how people treat me. Today, I have a short haircut, but yesterday, it was long. It was an absolute mess. I was wearing bright uh, rainbow-colored Crocs. I was wearing shorts that were half purple and half green, and I know that if I had shown up there today, you all would have assigned a different amount of value to me. I'm not wearing a suit today because I love suits. In fact, you can ask my wife. I hate wearing suits. I'm wearing it because I want you to trust me. I want you to see me as professional. I want you to read my opinion as something that is to be valued. So many parts of my way of showing up in the world, so many parts of my identity are ways that other people use to dismiss me, to say that I don't belong, to say that I don't have value. As a queer, transgender, Korean-American, Asian-American, mixed race man, I'm often discounted. And so belonging has been complicated, especially when you think about beauty, because I've actually had to change pieces of how I show up in the world. I've had to conform my beauty to a certain way to feel safe and to be valued. And what I want to ask of you all is how can we shift the beauty industry as a whole and society as a whole so that kids don't think that the beauty industry is evil? so that they see themselves in the beauty industry, so that they actually understand that they can expand into their own beauty as opposed to contract. The beauty industry and beauty as a whole, I think, society demands that we conceal parts of ourselves, that we constrain ourselves, that we hide pieces of our truth, not only from other people, but also from ourselves. And what I want from you all and what I want from the world is for us to be able to dive into a beauty that originates at every single person so that nobody has to stop being themselves, so that nobody has to show up and change who they are in order to feel like they belong. Because in reality, I think that everybody has beauty, and I know how trite that statement is, but if we think about beauty as actually originating from activism, okay, and I mean that, originating from activism, understanding that we actually, beauty is meaningless if we don't have our people here to experience it together. What I mean by that is, How can we care about beauty if trans kids have no health care? How can we care about beauty if black folks are being murdered for being black? How can we care about beauty if trans people are being murdered for being trans? How can we care about beauty if Iranian girls are being poisoned in school and Afghan girls can't even go to school? How can we care about beauty without fundamental rights? And so what I ask of you is to bring that activism to the centerpiece because the beauty industry and beauty itself means nothing if we are not here to experience it. So create a world where all of us, every single person, including those who are historically undervalued, historically dehumanized, where all of us have a place in the beauty industry. Thank you so much.
1: The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria,
3: Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bof, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com bof to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bof.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.